Hi, cuties. Welcome to Feed the Q, the ultimate podcast discovery podcast. I'm Andrea. I work at Ting Media, the podcast marketing company. And today, Devin passed me the mic so I can tell you about the perfect podcast to add to your queue. And little warning before we start, this episode will include a many puns. Oh, we hear a tink. We like to listen Sometimes to podcasts Sometimes to music And sometimes to audiobooks Stay tuned if you like recommendations We're gonna bring them to your ears We'll share with you some things we've been loving and we'll try to feed your cue. This week, we were on the prowl through the podcast realm and we've uncovered a gem for you, Six Degrees of Cats. This is not your typical cat podcast. If you've ever wondered why cats were worshipped as gods in ancient Egypt or if they were really Satan's little helpers in Europe's Middle Ages, you're in for a treat. Creator, host, and kitty cat lover, Amanda B. takes us on a whirlwind adventure through the feline mysteries of history. She leaves no stone unturned as she investigates the connections between cats and some downright mysterious stuff. From serial killers to despots, Amanda's got it all tied up. And now she's back for a second season. Amanda wears many hats. She writes, produces, and hosts Six Degrees of Cats and is also the host of DCP Entertainment's Podcast 360. Among other things, she composes and performs original rock and roll music. How cool is that? Before we get into an episode of Six Degrees of Cats, we are going to hear from the creator herself. I had a chat with Amanda B. about the beginnings, her creative process, and what's next for the show. So exciting. Thank you again. And I also really am excited to be on Feed the Queue. I love everything that Lauren Fassell and your team touches, just forces of good in podcasting. So thank you again. <laughs> yes. And you're definitely one of our favorite cuties, which is why you're on the show too. <laughs> okay. That's perfect branding. At Perfect branding. There you go. See us. <laughs> We're so excited to talk to you. We are big fans of your show, big fans of really like all the topics you talk about is so interesting. Like you're saying, it's not just you talking about your cat. It's a lot, lot more than that, which cuties are going to hear in just a moment. And I want to hear a little bit of how the concept started and what encouraged you to look into like the history of cats and how it's how they're connected to humans and all the good stuff you talked about in the first season. Oh my gosh. Well, I'll try to keep it really succinct. I have my entire life been absolutely drawn to kitty cats. I don't have an answer for why, and that actually probably will come up in season three or four, the origins of my love of kitties, mainly because I think what we what we are drawn to says so much about who we are as people, our cultural influences, the things that we've grown up with. Um, but yeah, I was adopted, and I think there's something to be said that I was adopted into a family of cat agnostics slash dog people. Oh. <laughs> so it's always been on top of mind, like, why do I love cats? Why are they the best? Why are they basically my mental health this you know system? Why do they bring me so much joy? And why do they not do that for some people? And then a flash forward to I'd say 2007, 
Spotify USA. They were looking to increase women of color and non-binary folks of color in the podcasting space and launch their SoundUp program. And they were shocked at how much demand there is for such a program. There were 18,000 applicants, and I was very honored and lucky to be a finalist. I was one of the 10 selected to participate in, at the time it was shaped as a boot camp, now it's more of an accelerator. The the one week experience culminated in a pitching competition. And so that was my kind of put me into the podcasting space. I've always loved to write. I'm a musician. So broadcast arts have always been part of my life. But this is the first time where you have me and you have kitties and you have music and you have writing. So that that's kind of how it all came to be. And in our first season, we started investigating and exploring the root of the question, which is, when did our relationship with these beautiful, mysterious, furry, very controversial animals first begin? Six degrees of cats in a nutshell. <laughs> Love it so much. And one of the things that I was telling you before we even started recording is what a big fan I am of your sound editing and your research and your sound design. So I'd love to hear more about kind of your process of making the first season, you know, going through so many topics from science to mythology and bringing in a bunch of guests to like back up your, your arguments and your questions. So what was that process like? And how did it inform your prep for the second season? as well. Oh my gosh, it's an amazing question. Well, speaking to the process, and thank you again so much, it is high praise coming from true pros like folks at like Tink Media and Unfeed the Q. Um, you know, if you are listening from a musical ear, you can hear that I have a very specific cadence and flow and pace. Like I think of every 30, 25 minute, 30 minute episode as a full composition and I'm listening to it for a rhythm. So that's always undergirding kind of my writing cadence. But when it comes to the research, which is kind of where it starts, I usually... Anything and everything that has to do with cats, I can find a connection. You tell me, say, uh, spaghetti and uh, award shows and cats, and I will find a through line that I can thread it together. It may or may not. It'll be entertaining. I'll tell you that. So um, when I started this podcast, my first my first goal was certainly to research evidence-informed folks. So I don't want people to just have to listen to people who are famous or influencers talk about cats. That's not quite what I'm doing here. What I did was do a lit review. So I have a background in clinical research. I actually thought I was going to go to graduate school and study developmental psych, specifically Jerry psych. We went a different direction. That's okay. But I brought those skills, like being able to look at lit reviews, understand that, for example, if somebody, if taxpayers paid for research, then we as the public have a right and are able to access those articles. And what's really nice is that most of the time, the corresponding author, the person who's listed on these academic research papers, they're, they are, you know, hypothetically the person who should be able to receive emails where you can actually say, would you be willing to be interviewed on this article? The other people I reached out to were journalists, writers. Journalists are just the most wonderful researchers, very, very good writers and very well spoken. So they were also people I went to. And I just kind of started from there. So I had about 40, 50 hours of tape to sift through. And this started right before all those wonderful programs like Descript and um, 
Zencaster and all of them had automated transcriptions. So I did a lot of work just rereading the transcripts, pulling quotes, doing what we would do for any type of article. Now, what I would then do is I would, you know, script it out, have an outline, follow through on how am I going to pull this together? Who else has commentary on this of this, like, lots of tape that I have? And then I would just compose, right? That's how I see it. I would compose. I would say, well, here's the thesis statement. So here's the supporting evidence. And then what you're commenting on with the sound design is now I want to just add myself into it. And that was actually why there was such a delay from when I had the idea to actually launching it because I'm, I'm a slightly private person. And I thought, how can I honor my needs and boundaries to, you know, and not overwhelm the audience with TMI on who I am, but also put the spirit of who I am and what I want to do with this podcast into it. And so that's where you're hearing all that quirky, like those asides, the quirky little sounds. I grew up in the 90s and and then the 80s. I'm aging myself and aging is a privilege, so I'm going to own that. And I think I wrote out that um, process a little bit or that mindset a little bit in the um, podcast, the newsletter interview. So that's kind of where it all started from that's the process I just want to add to what you were saying that your personality shines through for sure and I think it adds so much to it because podcast listeners want that you know otherwise we'd probably be reading the research papers that you're reporting on themselves and not not listening to the podcast but you make it so entertaining and you condense so much information in a little time like in a fair amount of time and your process reminds me so much of my process as well There's so much that that comes in. If you have an idea, if you have a question, as you start researching, there's a lot that piles up. And so to get from that to the final product, so much respect for that and for how you do it. How did this uh, experience in the first season inform what you're doing in the second season? And what can you tease that's that's coming up? Because I listened to the trailer. I'm so excited. Specifically for Cat Daddy Jackson Galaxy. Are you kidding me? I cannot wait for that episode. <laughs> I know. Oh my gosh, that was such a get. So the second season is definitely the actual production process is much more streamlined. You know, I do nine episodes a season. Haha, <laughs> nine lives. I have to <laughs> make that very clear to my audience because it's a little shorter than the average season, but it, it's it's intentional. And so um, right now I'm actually changing the the DAW that I'm using. I'm now using using Descript, which is my dream product. I can't tell you how, how much that's abbreviated. A lot of the audio uh, editing that really goes into this because P-pops and plosives, that just is super annoying. Two, two things that are informed in season two. First off, I'm definitely referencing, back referencing season one content. So I'm definitely encouraging my listeners to bear in mind the themes of, say, gender and the true meaning of domestication and, and our relationship and placement in this large global ecosystem, because those are going to resurface in season two. Absolutely. I'm really glad that you listened to the trailer. Um, we have Jackson Galaxy. We have a rock and roll who is also a cat lady. With Pride, Melina Moy. We have a food historian. We have so many academics, a couple religion scholars. First episode is going to talk about Halloween, specifically the original crazy cat lady. I'm using those words very intentionally and thoughtfully here. I'll give you one guess as to who the OG quote-unquote crazy cat lady might have been. The second season, we're going to continue along that theme. We're going to talk a bit more about religion and cats. There are some religions that we, you know, unfortunately don't see cats very kindly, but we also have religions that love kitties, and we don't talk enough about that. (laughs) 
And we're going to continue on that line. I'm going to talk about ethics. I have a philosopher who's returning to talk about what is our responsibility, what's our relationship, and what philosophers would have to say about cat ownership and what would their guidelines be. That was super fun because I love philosophy. And we'll continue on as to why cats shape this landscape, our cultural landscape, specifically the internet. So I have a food influencer who's going to bring it to pizza, pizza cats, and so on. Season two is a lot of fun. Get ready. I'm super pumped. I'm so excited. And okay, now I can believe you when you say that I can give you any two words and you can link them back to cats. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, and I can't wait for you to listen to the, to the Christmas one. Ooh, that's going to be really fun. And when you were mentioning also religions, it made me think, and cultures, like, for example, in Romania, we have this saying, and I think it's in other cultures as well, for sure, that when a black cat crosses you, that's a sign of bad luck. But there's so many, unfortunately, so many stray cats, but they're so beautiful. And like, people do take care of them, kind of similarly to what you were talking about in the Kosovo episode, which was so fascinating, because you mentioned in the trailer as well that you're going to be talking about Iceland, Canada, where do you want to take that side of the conversation as well, looking at cultures and cats specifically and finding the ties between them? Oh my gosh, that is everything. That is absolutely one of the primary through lines for Six Degrees of Cats. And coming back to your comment on black cats, it's interesting. There are some cultures, for example, according to my research, I think the Scots, perhaps, say that a cat, a black cat crossing your path is good luck. So we want to see, what does this say about the cultures? I think what I really am trying to, and here's, here's another cat pun. I think some people are expecting more cat puns. I wish I was that clever, but... Kitties are definitely a catalyst for a lot of things that we have come to really accept as norms. First off, the written word is a pretty new thing in terms of um, what informs our cultural history and exchange. And it's been interesting for me to trace the pre-written word oral storytelling traditions and other ways that motifs and cultural pattern have come to shape the way that we think, quote unquote, this modern era is. We, we did talk about gender, religion, principles of ethics, goodness, morals. And also, I think that, you know, as a culture, we'd like to imagine ourselves as enlightened, logical, rational. But in fact, you know, our brains are super old. Like they, the, the primary drivers of human behavior in my experience are not that much different from animals. So what I'm trying to do is maybe say, hey, we see cats as defiant, or some people will say really unkind things like they're dumb, or that they're not as important as humans. And I'm here to say, I don't think that anybody is served well for that kind of attitude. And so I love that you love the Kosovo episode because the folks I talked to there, the, the legal rights lawyer, the cat cafe owner who was using it to galvanize community to care for all people around there, the arts curator, it's driving to the point that we are only using Band-Aid solutions when we don't look at the, the entire way that we people live in this world and how we're integrated into all these systems. And when they are out of balance or when we are prioritizing only one thing, it causes seriously not good things for others in those systems. So I don't know if that that's particularly succinct. But I hope that answers your question about my cultural kind of through line and the commentary and where I'm going with this podcast. Yeah. And <laughs> that's so important because I think at the end of the day, it means that no matter if one culture says, you know, a black cat crossing your path is good luck or bad luck or, you know, wherever we took our relationship with 
animals and pets in general, there's so many similarities actually between cultures. And what you were saying towards the end is so relevant that we tend to be very human centric and that's not sustainable and, you know, it's it's not to our benefit. So, yeah, focusing on that resilience and sustainability and just like human nature and love that, that we can have for each other as beings, not necessarily as humans, is going to benefit everyone at the end of the day. And I also love is what I was going to say for our cuties that haven't checked out your podcast yet. There's a lot of talk about, you know, history, about science, about this and that. But there's also a lot of talk about the kind of like human to kitty cat affection. And there's a special episode called I Love Meow, right? Oh, it's like uh, five ways to say I love you. I think there's just something transcendent when I, I often say this out loud in my home, which my neighbors probably think, okay, she's absolutely like the quote unquote crazy cat lady. I will look at this animal and I, we cannot verbally communicate quite the same way that a human can. Isn't it just a gift from the heavens that we have been given this beautiful relationship with cats and dogs and any other animal, it, and it looks at you, it, it's vulnerable, it trusts you. That, I think, is, is what is proof of, I don't know, what your religious orientation is. I'm pretty agnostic myself, but like beautiful design. Or, or how that ended up. Isn't that just just a wonderful gift? It's just a beautiful little extra in, in this world that we navigate. You know, I think connection is one of the meanings of life, be it how you connect with people in your family or your community or your significant other or others, your children, your pets. It's it's connection. And, and the more we feel connected to and recognize our positions in these interconnected systems, the more enriched our life is. That's my theory. Now, bit ambitious to do in such a niche podcast for six degrees of cats, but I that's my passion. That's what brings me joy is just being able to exchange and connect with somebody like you, Andrea, and all the people who are podcasters, my listeners, um, kitties. <laughs> it's just it's just a joy. It really is a true pleasure to be able to have the luxury to do a project like this and connect with all these cool people, have some of the most fun, interesting discussions I've ever had about, again, such a quirky, unique, special little, I think, quirk in, in how our systems evolved, you know? <laughs> it's just amazing. I love it. I love it. And I cannot wait to to listen to your new season. And before we go, because we are on Fit the Queue with Tink Media and what we do is podcast marketing magic, I want to ask you about some ways that you use marketing to build your listenership base and to just like send your message forward to people. I see you use a lot of social media, super cool stuff that you post, super cool content. Well, first off, huge fan of Tink Media. I mean, Lauren's webinars and her coaching and consulting is amazing. I would recommend it for anybody at any scale. Your team is just incredible. You are awesome. Um, one of the things I learned from Lauren was that, you know, social media's ROI in terms of gaining listeners is a little bit different. And when I use social media, it's first off just for fun. I'm a digital native from the time that Facebook <laughs> launched, so I'm used to using it in that way. I use it as a conversation platform, so I've definitely made you know internet friends with people who, who are fans of it. When I first started this podcast, people said, oh, cats, they market themselves. Well, yes, they do, but not 
just like the cat themselves. They don't do it to any means that I can leverage automatically. And that's just a marketing thing, right? I'm learning about SEO. I'm, I'm getting kind of in that game. But I'd say the most um, effective marketing that I'm using right now is still word of mouth. And it's kind of old school, but I have gained a good amount of listeners either through my newsletter. I have a sub stack called the captain's log. I now have cat news lately, which is the section where I just aggregate really fun cat news. And I also try to put a little bit of an evidence informed spin because a lot of headlines are kind of wrong. They're misinterpreting research. But I also... Um, I think the other way that I'm really trying to leverage uh, my network is and, and my listeners is also what Tink Media recommends, which is show swaps. So I just did a wonderful swap with one of my dear podcast friends, Nuances Podcast. I had the opportunity to kind of go a little outside of my lane and talk more about myself and my own background. And then um, I also featured that episode on my feed, and her podcast is amazing. Uh, Nuances host Lazuli is awesome. And I have a couple others coming up. And um, also just being featured in other newsletters, just really, really being focused and targeted because even though we're small, we're mighty, we're specific, you know exactly what you're going to listen to with Six Degrees of Cats because of the title. So I'm really just zeroing in on that so that I can make sure that um, the listening value of entertainment and education and kitty cats is served to the people who want to hear it and, and hopefully brings a little joy to their lives. That's beautiful. That was some strategies, some making podcast friends, which is so important, building that community, and then just going from there to support each other. Ariel says, you know, collaborate, not compete. And that is, again, coming back to the thesis statement that if you find yourself in the ecosystem, notice who you're connected to, reach out to those folks, and trust that when, you can, when you're consistent and you put out the same content at a cadence and people are understanding what they're going to receive, they, I'm, I have a nice trickle of growth. I haven't had an explosive growth or anything. I'm not looking to like be the next um, big name necessarily, but I, I, my dream is to reach the audience that needs and wants to hear from me, to be connected to them, you know? invite people into the clouder, if you will. <laughs> I'm sure that's what keeps you going because podcasting is no easy business, especially with what you're doing and the level that you're doing it at. So researched, so, so well done and thought out. It's no easy work. So keeping that in mind is very important. Absolutely. You got to love what you're doing. People will hear the joy. At least I hope they do. And, and and at the end of the day, for any creative who's like, I'm just not seeing the, the, the return on investment or whatever. It's like, if you personally would enjoy what you're putting out and you're having a good time, at least that's one 100,000% engaged audience member. I would never make something that I personally wouldn't consume. So that's also it's like, well, hopefully I can find my people out there who are kind of similar to me. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Thank you so much, Amanda. And before we let cuties listen to your episode, please tell us where they can find you and stay connected with you. You can find Six Degrees of Cats anywhere you listen to podcasts. I would recommend if you want to just have a quick link, go to pod.link slash the number six degrees of cats. It is referencing Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon or Six Degrees of Connection. Once again, pod.link slash Six Degrees of Cats. Or you can find all of the links at linktree, L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash Six Degrees of Cats. So that's where you can find me right in this moment. 
Thank you so much, Amanda. It was a pleasure talking to you about cats and about everything you do. Again, so much admiration and so much respect for it. Yes, thank you so much. I'm excited to connect to future listeners and cat friends and not cat friends, but cat curious people as well. We show up for everybody. <laughs> I'm so inspired to hear about Amanda's process, research, and all the work she puts into this show. If you're adding this to your queue, you know you're going to be served fascinating tales that don't only teach you something new about our feline friends, but also about the world, history, society, culture. And Amanda's sound design makes every second so entertaining that you'll find yourself binging the first season just waiting for the next episodes to come out. Thank us later. To give you a taste, let's take a listen to the first episode of the new season, which is all about the original cat ladies. Witches. Learn about weird trivia, women's history, and whiskey brewing, the origins of the witch costume, and why Carlos and Jeffy are the most important team members of Kings County Distillery. It's a blast. Hope you enjoy. Come on, Snuggy. Why won't you speak to me? Oh, language snuggles. Look, I know you want higher compensation, but we don't even make money off of this yet. Yeah, I know, but we have to follow the advice that that social media person gave me, so you gotta put on this outfit. All right, fine. No costume this year. Come here and take off that outfit, even though that hat is really cute. Welcome back, cool cats and cat allies alike to Six Degrees of Cats, the world's best and only cat-themed culture, history, and science podcast. Before I forget, I just wanted to thank all of you so much for the love in Season 1. And if you're new to the pod, you definitely should check those episodes out because despite our journeys in that season from Greece to Rome to Scandinavia, from the early days of the cat-human friendship to the present time— we still have barely scratched the surface of the threadbare couch that represents all things connected to kitties in this life. I'm so happy to kick off the second season of Six Degrees of Cats. Who am I? Well, if you didn't know already, it is I, Captain Kitty, or Amanda B. And you earlier heard from me and my co-executive producer, Snuggles, who is also joined here by her brother, Dad, not sure about the relationship, to be honest, Binky, neither of whom, for the record, have consented to wear the very adorable, very expensive costumes I got for the occasion, which is Halloween. Ah, yes. Halloween, the holiday of frights and scaries, horrifying things like ghouls, goblins, demons, team-building activities at corporate retreats, and stop and chats on the street, celebrated in North America on October 31st. Trick or treat! Unlike Valentine's Day, which we talked about in my Cats vs. Cupid episode, the first images that come to mind when you think of Halloween are pumpkins, ghosts, and kitties, who are, allegedly, and along with other fun critters like toads, frogs, dogs, and ducks, the friends of Satan, a.k.a. Lucifer, a.k.a. the devil. The guy goes by a lot of names, but enough about him. 
Let's talk about his alleged consorts. <laughs> Witches. Or were they? As a heads up, this episode will include some rather colorful language. Partly because, well, curses and Halloween go hand in hand. And how apropos. Halloween comes with pumpkins. Pumpkin spicing is the spice of language, don't like you think? Mace. Do you know mace is both a weapon ingredient and a flavoring agent? I digress. Back to witches. So, Binky, what comes to mind when you think of a witch? Haha, <coughs> very funny. Be serious now, not me. Okay. Nature, herbs, goddess. Oh, wait, no, no, no. Sorry, Pinky. I didn't mean modern practitioners of Wicca and other religions that call their followers witches. Good point. Thanks for reminding me about that. And modern witches, thanks for your grace. We're going to be talking actually about the image of alleged witches that come into the pop culture space from places like Disney and stuff. Pinky, pull up some images here. Okay, here we are. All right. You have an old woman. She lives alone. She has kind of wild hair. No comment on her complexion and profile. That's kind of rude. She wears all black. She has kind of a strange hat on. Oh, and there's a large black cauldron. Oh, something's looking back at us in the corner of that picture. Oh, kitties. Um, excuse me. She has a few cats. I think she's a quote-unquote crazy cat lady. That's what we're here to talk about. Both witches and cat ladies, to this date, have a bit of a uh, branding problem, as our guest from season one, the Trap King himself, Sterling Davis, has acknowledged. I would gather the volunteers and get them get volunteers to help me in different colonies, different areas. And it was always women. It would only be women. And would start telling me, you know, Sterling, I want to help. I want to do this, but I can't go to that. I can be cursed out. And that was when I was thinking to myself, oh, I need to make her cool. She's not just some crazy cat lady coming to your neighborhood called trouble. She's actually helping. So that's what we're here to talk about. The origins of the quote-unquote crazy cat lady. Okay, that's enough, Banky. Which, like the cauldron in the visual I just described, is a total crock of shit. <gasps> Look. The tagline, crazy cat lady, may seem harmless. I mean, we touched on this in our Father's Day episode. The insidious gender stereotypes that continue to uh, dog our societies and make owning cats a thing that women, and exclusively women, do alone. Which is somehow supposed to be a funny visual? Whatever. When it comes to witches, well, those Disney images didn't come from nowhere, nor did the stigma we attach to people who look and act like... that. I'm thinking specifically of the Salem Witch Trials, which were held in the late 17th century in Salem, Massachusetts. The Salem Witch Trials are pretty well documented and ensconced in the canon of American literature, thanks to playwright Arthur Miller's incredible work, The Crucible. There are so many podcasts and books out there on the witch trials and all the horrible things that were done to those folks accused of being witches. 
I'll include a few in the show notes for you to check out. So, about all them witches. Why were these people seen to be agents of the devil? Well, often it was specifically... Women doing femininity wrong. Women doing relationships and sex wrong. Women doing religion wrong. And women doing, like, peopling wrong. The historical association of, like, witches with cats. Perfectly said by our first expert. I am Dr. Megan Goodwin. I'm the author of Abusing Religion, which is a book about religion and abuse, like it says in the title. I am the co-host and co-producer of Keeping It 101, a Killjoy's Introduction to Religion podcast. I do media and tech consulting for the Crossroads Project at Princeton, which is a loose-funded project that platforms and raises the profile of scholars, activists, community organizers, artists, and teachers who focus on Black, African-American, and Africana religions. By the time this comes out, I guess I will officially be co-president of the Bardo Institute for Religion and Public Policy. It will come as no surprise to you, returning listeners, that religion resurfaces this season. Recall our episode on Freya's cats. Our Norse folklore expert, Terry Gunnell, hinted at a pattern in which women in roles of moral or structural authority found themselves pushed further and further aside as time progressed. Same game, different name. So this brings us back to who gets protected as validly religious and who gets left out, right? Because the folks who found themselves on the other side of, say, witchcraft accusations. I used to teach a witches class at Northeastern, so this is local history. When folks get accused of being witches, overwhelmingly, particularly on this continent, the apparatus that is used to convict them of that is both religious and scientific. There's not a space in between those categories at this time. And we know that to this date, both religion and science are brought into many strong discussions about how to woman correctly. What the accusations are are about science and religion on their face. And of course, cats got caught in the crosshairs of that as well. It's something we experience to this day because of that quote-unquote crazy cat lady stereotype. A cultural and, it turns out, historic trope. One that can sometimes be intended to land lightheartedly. I mean, I'm going to own that honorary title here and there. But it is often maliciously directed at, well, people perceived to be doing femininity wrong, as Dr. Goodwin put it earlier, which she experienced firsthand. I had a really unpleasant uh, interaction with a dude at a gas station a couple of years ago where he was just taking up all of the space. And I was trying to get around him so that I could fuel my car. And I don't remember what I said, but he like drove off and was like, say hi to your cats for me. I'm a scholar of rhetoric and gender and sexuality, and it took about three milliseconds to realize that what he was saying when he said, say hi to your cats, is, you're a fucking dyke. The assumption that women with cats are sexually wrong, gendered in a way that is not allowed in public, that they must be alone, that they must be miserable, that has stuck with me, and it has been interesting thinking about the ways that cats stand in for, I think, if not rebelliousness, at least a kind of stubborn individuality 
and a refusal to do things on other people or species terms. Yeah, unfortunately, not obeying or complying is a thing that definitely gets under many people's skin, especially those who are used to everyone going along with what they say for whatever reason. So, of course, when it came to an older woman not doing the whole husband, kids, church, looking hot for the man, folk in town thing, you're going to have some taking personal offense for that stuff, even though it's really none of their business. But seriously, folks, what exactly was it about their witchy business that specifically got folks' hackles so raised that it became a matter of life and death? Well... Hold on to your hats. We'll talk more about this after the break. Before the break, the wonderful Dr. Megan Goodwin oriented us on the historic and systemic reasons that some women were designated witches and treated very rudely as an understatement. And now the time has come. Gather around and perhaps make yourself a nice hot toddy if you are of the alcohol persuasion, which, for the record, is lemon, tea, cloves optional, and whiskey. Whiskey for ye teetotalers goes back 4,000 years at least. According to the aptly named The Scotch Whiskey Experience website, the word whiskey comes from the word Bay. I will spell that out in the show notes, which is an anglicized version of the term Ishkibaha from Middle Irish and Scots Gaelic, which literally means water of life. According to my research, whiskey was either originated by a bunch of bored monks who brought the tradition to the Scottish Highlands, or it was discovered and perfected by the people themselves in their homes. And it's made of barley, which is a grain. Grains! Remember how we talked about the grain trade in Season 1 with Dr. Melinda Zeter? We touched on domestication, both of animals and plants. Now, it's time to think about more than just bread when it comes to grains. Or rather, who brought in the dough from the drink? At least for a while. Take it from our second guest of this episode. My name is Sarah Lohman. I am a culinary historian, and I am author of the book, Eight Flavors, The Untold Story of American Cuisine. You can uh, get on top of everything at sarahloman.com. That's links to all my good stuff, my newsletters, my upcoming events, my Patreon. Also, if you just search for me, Sarah Lohman, L-O-H-M-A-N, you will find me as well. In my discussion with Sarah, I asked her, what do witches have to do with whiskey? And what does this all have to do with this crazy cat lady stuff we talked about earlier? I think we need to go take a look at the history of labor and work. 
throughout most of history, women were the brewers. Because if we're talking about traditional divisions of labor before Industrial Revolution, men were out there doing the farming. They were growing the crops. They were growing the animals. You know, they were doing all of that labor. And women were doing all of the processing. Maybe they they were doing some butchering, certainly, but they were, you know, taking the whole animal and, you know, preserving it and cooking it and making sausages and doing all of that. So growing falls under that in that they're not out there growing the grain, but they're taking the grain and processing it. So women were the commercial brewers up until like the 15th century. And then women were doing the majority of the home brewing up through the middle of the 19th century in America anyway. And here's where the witches come in. So we've got a single woman, maybe older. She's got a cat. At least one help her keep down the rodent population. This continues to describe my current life. She needs a big cast iron vessel to boil the wort in, to essentially prepare the beer for fermentation. So she's got a big old cast iron pot that she's stirring around. Also, when the beer is finished and ready for sale, it was traditional to hang a broom over the front door of where she lived. So it was like the signpost that said, hey, the beer is ready, come and buy it. But if she was selling at a festival, she would wear a big, tall, pointy hat so that you could see where the beer vendor was above the crowd. And so when you think of like a Halloween witch, these are all the visual associations we have with it, too. So I also want to point out that this isn't my research or my theory. There's been a couple great articles and papers about this. If you could look those up and and cite the names, that would be great. I don't have them on the top of my head. Glad to oblige. Sarah is referencing the work of writer and U.S. historian Judith M. Bennett. Her book, Ale, Beer, and Brewsters in England, Women's Work in a Changing World, does a great job addressing the things that Sarah's talking about. So there you go, folks. Happy Halloween. That witch costume is actually a 15th century pilgrim's outfit, or a sexy 15th century pilgrim's outfit, depending on how you roll with your Halloween costumes. This is really cool, but how in the world did we lose the connection between witches and whiskey? Following along a thought Dr. Goodwin had shared. If you look at the history, overwhelmingly the folks who wound up accused of being witches were women who were disrupting lines of male property inheritance. It's about the money, right? It's not not about religion. It's about all of it. Here's where the real evil comes in. So women have had a huge part of brewing for most of brewing's history, the vast majority of brewing's history, and it's only really been recently that it's fallen into the domain of men. Women often brewed for their families throughout time, but if we're talking historically about selling beer, commercial brewing in Europe, women were also doing that through the 15th and 16th centuries. And that switched in the 15th century as brewing became a guild profession. So basically, guilds, think of them kind of like a union. You know, it's an organization of people in a certain craft, and they were male-dominated. So not only did it become a guild craft, but also different laws were passed, like the purity laws in Germany, that put in very specific limits in place on how you can make your beer and what went into your beer. So the industry was changing, and a lot of that meant that males wanted to take this over as a profession. And so one of the ways they did this is to villainize women brewers as witches. 
So how are they able to do this? Here we go, folks. Well, let's say it is the 13th century and you are uh, a brewer. You're a woman and it is likely that you are unmarried. You might be a widow or you might be a spinster like me. And you (laughs) shockingly might enjoy your independence for whatever reason you're not on this traditional path, okay? And so one of the ways that you could make money and have a business that was socially acceptable in this time was to brew. So basically, men who wanted to take over the brewing industry just slandered and gave a bad name to women brewers and turned the tools of their trade into the symbols that we associate in the modern day with like a real stereotypical witch. These days, we colloquially say witch hunt to describe campaigns of persecution, which is in of itself kind of controversial. I will say that it certainly hasn't just been successful, powerful, unique women with cats who have endured these types of malicious campaigns with that very same objective. Here's Dr. Goodwin again. If you dig truly not even very much deeper at all, it becomes very quickly evident that, yeah, capitalism and religion and politics, not that those are separate in any way if left to their own devices, operate to privilege the folks who are already in power, or if they have started losing any of that power to make sure they get it back right quick. Here's a recent example of this kind of campaign in our not-too-distant memory. My brain immediately went to a Dr. Sarah Tabor place because she does a lot of really fascinating work on food cultures and particularly farming cultures and how they have harmed Asian folks, Black folks, Latinx folks, I had gotten the history that we all get, which is, you know, Japan bombed Pearl Harbor and then everybody agreed that Japanese folks needed to be incarcerated for the good of the country. Horrifying in retrospect. The thread that really rewired my brain was the one that she did on Japanese incarceration in the 1940s, overwhelmingly being a land grab by white farmers who were not making as efficient use of the farmland that they had available. Farmers of Japanese origin were used to growing in more hostile and more constraining circumstances. So they were fucking killing it, which meant that they were beating out the competition. And when they were incarcerated, the white farmers got their land. And overwhelmingly, the Japanese farmers never got it back. It's one of those things where the narrative given is, oh, it's about national security. It's about what's doing best for the country. And we continue to see this playing out to this day. Sorry, folks. I know it was supposed to be a fun episode with Halloween, but this is Debbie Downer. Welcome to my ship. So I guess this Halloween, kids, whenever you don those witch outfits or watch those horror films, remember, there's nothing horrifying about single women or cats or the competition. What is horrifying is the idea that children everywhere are told so many lies. Chief among them, that being a single person with your own successful home brewing business and the most beautiful creature to shit in a box as your little bestie beastie isn't the best thing ever. For crying out loud, that's the opposite of crazy, lady. That's called living the dream. This is taking us to the present tense. Let's bring it from witches 
to whiskers to whiskey on a slightly, uh, lighter note. Now, since the Salem Witch Trials days, brewing has become a billion-dollar corporatized industry. And outside of Halloween, I'm not really seeing a lot of witches running distilleries here. Sarah corroborates this. Whiskey and craft brewing is very, very male-dominated and very, very white male-dominated, too. There was like a black brewers conference for the first time. So we're starting to see some shifts in that. But again, it's still very, very male-oriented. So we have some work to do to get more witching in the kitchen. I guess we won't solve that now. It's definitely part of the larger cultural shift necessary to decouple gender from, well, values, honestly. But it's at least a little promising that the legacy of these Bruja brewers remains in the form of their furry little apprentices. You know, almost every brewery and distillery has at least one cat for the exact same reasons that people in Mesopotamia and brewers in Mesopotamia and brewers in medieval England had cats too, to keep control of the rodent population in these spaces that are storing a lot of grain. We can look at the history of cats as being very tied into grain production. Because of that, at the same time, we're starting to produce beer as well, and beer would lead to distillates. So they're also very much tied to the history of alcohol. Yet another wonderful thing about kitties. For our final guest speaker in this episode, I'm grateful to have had the chance to meet the boss of two distillery cats who told me what it was like to be, well, a cat boss, I guess. I don't know. Colin, take it away. Okay, sure. I'm Colin Spoolman. I'm co-founder and distiller at Kings County Distillery in Brooklyn, New York. We can be found on Instagram at Kings County Distillery or on Twitter at Kings Co. Whiskey. It's worth noting here that the lineage of this brand of booze brings the homebrew origins to Brooklyn by way of the Scotch-Irish immigrants who settled into the Appalachian region of North America in the 18th century, a heritage close to Colin's heart. I grew up in eastern Kentucky, the moonshine part of Kentucky, which is to say the sort of coal mining Appalachian part. I sort of began to understand that this was my cultural inheritance, and I was intrigued by whiskey and moonshine and that interplay between folk Appalachian culture and this thing that was happening in Brooklyn, which was this farm-to-table interest in things that were made at a smaller scale or according to an older tradition, which suited with moonshine very well. Bourbon, as it is, had become very homogenous and commercialized, such that there weren't really a lot of small producers anymore. So to be able to get into moonshine as a way to rediscover a sort of lost art of distillation was really how things got started, and that required getting a license as a commercial distiller in 2010. And we've been growing pretty much ever since then. In no small part, thanks to the furry defenders of the grains. Carlos and Jeffy, I think we're brothers, but they were our distillery cats. They really came, maybe not precisely as a result of Hurricane Sandy, but when the Navy Yard flooded, including our building, one of the side effects after that flood was hordes of roving rats and mice that had been displaced from wherever they had lived before the flood. We had a vermin problem in the distillery, so we solicited help 
in the form of Carlos and Jeffy, who lived at the distillery. Carlos was more bloodthirsty and more aggressive and got more mice. And then I think Jeffy sort of just kind of like lived off his coattails. Cattails. But Jeffy, it was his job really to patrol and to scare away mice. <laughs> it worked. We never really saw a mouse. The problem was gone. And, and it was remarkable how successful it was. It was actually the most humane way to scare off the mice as opposed to trapping them or poisoning them. Sadly, neither Carlos nor Jeffy are at Kings County Distillery anymore. Carlos passed away maybe three years after he was hired. And then Jeffy basically lived out to retirement and now lives upstate. His role was really to catch the mice, which he did. Which he did. Thank you, Carlos, Jeffy, and all the kitties who kept the rat and mice effluvia from ruining our harvests. Cats, the eco-friendly humane pesticide. Perfect solution. And the best kind of colleague with whom to enjoy a stiff drink after a long day at the distillery. Am I right? Well, we have cats and women to thank for whiskey and breweries. And we have capitalism and competition crowding them out of their own craft. Which wasn't actually witchcraft, but craft brewing. Or rather, we should say witchcraft brewing. Huh? Does that work? Alrighty. Let's all raise a glass to the wonderful network of feline vermin fighters and their stewards working tirelessly to bring joy and maybe a little pain to our weekends and evenings. And... Let us all toast the crazy cat lady of the hour. May this misunderstood, fashion-forward entrepreneur and food scientist finally get her due. All right, everybody. It's been so fun to launch this season with this specific episode, which has been top of mind for everybody since I told them about Six Degrees of Cats. I want to thank my excellent guest speakers, the religious scholar, Dr. Megan Goodwin, our wonderful food historian and writer, Sarah Lohman, and Kings County Distillery founder, brewer, and author, Colin Spoolman, for sharing their time, their deep knowledge, and their great humor. While the opinions are my own, the research and work is theirs. So if you'd like to learn more about them, please do check out our show notes, which also includes the references and research that went into this episode. And as always, big thanks to my team, which includes my co-executive producers, Binky and Snuggles, who refused to wear the very cute sailor outfits that we had made for them. I want to thank you for sticking with me. We have so much more to talk about this season. So until next time, stay tuned, you beautiful. I appreciate you. And remember, everything is connected. Six Degrees of Cats is produced, written, edited, and hosted by yours truly, Captain Kitty, a.k.a. Amanda B. Please subscribe to our mailing list by going to l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e slash six degrees of cats or look us up on all those social media platforms. You'll be first in line for the extra audio and more treats if you connect with us there. All episodes are dedicated to the misunderstood, the marginalized, the resilient, and the weird. And, of course, all the cats we've loved and lost.
make sure you go check out Six Degrees of Cats and subscribe right now. You don't want to miss out on this catastic journey through history. Is that enough puns? You can find Six Degrees of Cats in your favorite podcast apps. For all things Tink Media and Feed the Q, find us at tinkmedia.co or follow us on social at Tink Media. Thank you, Amanda, for joining me today. And thank you for listening. Bye, cuties. With the surround, you'll never run out of things to listen to. Cause we'll feed your cue.